What it do, what it do. Hey fam bam, it's your girl, Just Be Real, and welcome back for another episode of Just Be Real Podcast. Just as a trigger warning to let those who know, um, who don't know, I will be speaking about suicide, so this may be a touchy subject for some. Um, so just a disclaimer before you go ahead and jump in with me on this episode. Enough of me chatting. Let's get real. That was Heavy by Kiana Lede featuring Jennifer Lewis, the uh, mother of Black Hollywood. Um, hey, y'all. Welcome back for another episode. As I stated before, before we tap in and jump into this, it is a trigger warning. I will be speaking on suicide given the most recent events, as well as the fact of me being somebody who was parasuicidal. It's something I've been holding off to speak about, but I feel like there's no better time than now given all that's going on. And if you don't know, I will more than likely love to enlighten y'all. But, you know, given we're in the top of the year, we're still, you know, in the beginning stages of adjusting to 2022, maneuvering through a pandemic, a lot of changes, a lot of things are happening. I just feel like, you know, at this time I needed to address it more than anything, especially right now, you know, given we are still in January and it's still a recent open flesh wound um, for, for somebody very, very dear to our, our hearts in, in black cinema and, and black culture. Um, so Heavy was chosen by Kiana Lede, one, because... Kiana, at some point, as every, you know, a lot of public figures have discussed that they've, through this pandemic or in life, have gone through a period of darkness. And you know what? Everything all the time isn't, you know, peachy keen. You're not always 24-7 happy. You're not always in a great space. And sometimes people only just want to be around you, you know, as the fair weather friends, as they say. Fair weather friends are people who are just around you, who just want to be around you when things are good. When things are great and they can be able to, you know, be around the celebrations and the, the accolades, that's when they want to be around. But when it's those foul weather friends, you have to watch out for those too. Those who only want to be around when things are bad, when they know they can have the company, when they know that as long as you're in the bottom with them, that everything is good. So you got to have that balance. But as we said, everything is not always peachy keen. Everything's not always, you know, an easy ride or, you know, that type of situation. And this was deep for me where I had to even bust out some tea, y'all. Yes, some tea because I just feel like... Not only am I touching a subject that's a private matter for a public figure, but I'm touching a subject on myself that I don't think I've discussed out loud yet um, in reality. And those who know, I probably touched on it, but I've never taken the time to give its own private episode and attention to it. So I'm doing that today. So y'all got to bear with me because it's not that it still, it hurts or it's, it's a trigger but it's sensitive for me because I don't speak on it so often. I don't speak on it often. Um, I've spoken on it in regards to one of my dear close friends, but I've never spoken on it specifically pertaining to me. And then that dear close friend literally um, is a a lasting effect on how I feel about this subject. So, um, we'll child had to take a sip of tea. Um, on that one. And I don't think it gets enough awareness because it's so taboo 
in the black culture um in minority culture where it's pretty much ignored for the most part just like how we ignore that gay cousin when we know he gay but we gotta act like he not gay at the family reunions we we be knowing these people so enough of me trying to keep it vague and you know out there we're going to talk about it. we don't talk about suicide we don't talk about that cousin who's suicidal who's a cutter who's taking pills who's you know self-harmed in any type of way we don't talk about it because it's taboo and and black culture is seen as if you hurt yourself you don't love yourself and you're you're crazy or you know you need you got issues or that's some white people shit no it's really not it's really really not and um i think i was exposed to this at a young age which pushed me to go into being parasuicidal so if those don't know who para, what parasuicidal is parasuicidal is a person who's attempted to commit suicide um literally has been in a mindset of suicidal thoughts and literally if they're at a space where they're low enough they revert back to that there's no cure for it um there's not like it's a disease but it is a mental i would say an awareness that has to be out there especially with people you've known who have been in that space especially if they haven't gotten <coughs> excuse me the proper attention to address that issue now Hmm, child. Woo! Mm mm, child. Listen. So, unlike many others, I realized at a young age, or I realized at a, at a common age, that I had to get the help I needed, else I was going to literally lead myself down a path of self destruction, where I was going to harm myself to the point of no return. And I was grateful because. I would say 12 is when I got exposed to that kind of um, exposure to suicide and, you know, cutting. Um, but before all that, before we even get into me, I want to just touch a subject and send love and light to Miss Regina King on the loss of her son. Um, it was brought to the media attention that he committed suicide a couple days after his birthday. He was only in his mid-20s, young, had a lot of aspiration and drive for him. And it was her only son. Um, so rest well, Ian Alexander Jr. Um, but Regina King, as we know her, 227 is where she pretty much got the start and butt of her career. And has pretty much been in the game over the last 30 plus years. For now, she's behind the director's seat. Um, still acting, still contributing to the culture. But she always made it known that her son was the reason why she was able to keep going and pursue in roles in, in the, you know, the media culture. And I can imagine as a mother of not just a black son, but a uh, only child, it, it, it hits you hard because that's part of you that you gave life to. That's 50% of your DNA. That's parts of you that you brought into this world to exude your best parts and glorify your best parts of who you are and literally carry on your lineage. And that being her only child, knowing that's kind of where the lineage stops, like only children is hard for us because if we don't have kids, that's kind of where the lineage ends with us, for our parents. And, you know, every parent wants to have grandkids and have their lineage continue and their legacy continue. But to know that wasn't something that was availed for her to be like a grandmother there's so much that goes into it, because I feel like sometimes when you're in a suicidal mindset, you don't think about those who are affected 
after you're gone. You're thinking about the moment of, I'm doing this for me. But there's always a, a domino effect of grief and pain that you're leaving behind for others who love you. That now they have to find a way to cope life without you. But the pain probably doesn't get easier given the fact that you made the decision and it wasn't a natural decision, if that makes sense. So, again, this is not me judging anybody. This is all on my own personal experience with suicide. And I can understand her pain and grief as a mother. And I can understand why she said this is a very private time because it is a private time. It's very delicate. Um, as you have always heard me talk about before, my friend Tarshay, who committed suicide a few years back, um, almost three years ago, she committed suicide and... Um, it hit me hard. It hit me hard because she stopped me um, one out of my four times. And it, it, it was it was it was it was heartbreaking. Um, and if you know, then a lot of you probably do know that I have a tattoo dedicated to her on my thigh um, where I have the semicolon. And if you don't know what the semicolon means, it's a basketball semicolon because she loved basketball. But it's a semicolon and semicolon represents suicide prevention, um, suicide awareness. The, you know, semicolons, of course, mean it's not the end, but it isn't the beginning. But it's like it's a pause of where you're where you had in life. And that's exactly what it is when somebody commits suicide. It's a pause in life because they don't know what was to come, but they know what they've been through. And around her basketball semicolon, I have her name, Shay Shay, with her birthday and her death date in an infinity sign because she's going to forever live on in my heart. Because, again, she I feel like she has so much more to give to the world um, that she just wasn't aware of. And at that moment, just thought in the moment and just didn't realize how many people she was affecting with her loss. And don't get me wrong. It's not been easier, but I've learned to accept and cope that it wasn't my fault. There was nothing I could have done. Um, and that's something that I feel like is a hard thing to grasp when, you know, in death in general, when it's, you feel like you like, well, what could I have done more? Should I have done more? How could I have done this? And there's so many shoulda, coulda, wouldas or scenarios that played in your head to overthink that you don't realize that that person didn't want your help. That's really what it comes down to. The person didn't want your help and they didn't want your help. Hence why they left the world the way they did, because they didn't want you to have to suffer through not just them suffering in that moment but suffer as well when their life after death. And there's a lot of great, great uh, public figures and artists that have passed away. One of my favorite of all time being Phyllis Hyman. I feel like if Phyllis Hyman was still here today, she took her life because, again, pressures, people, 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 the pressure of the world is not something to play with. Y'all be out here cyberbullying. Y'all be out here, you know, giving negative comments, you know, downplaying people, you know, praying on a downfall, just, just spewing negativity, not knowing if they mental, not knowing if they mental right or if they're able to withstand that capacity of what you're dishing out to them. Because listen, pressures of this world and society are a bitch, yo. Like Phyllis Hyman literally took her life because there was a change in the industry, the music industry dynamic that she didn't feel that she was going to be able to shift into and still be successful. That that pressure of the world of her, of the artistry trying to conform her where she felt she had to conform into being something else. She just took her life. Yo, Phyllis Hyman is one of the greats and she's one that's so underrated and doesn't get enough credit because a lot of kids in this generation just don't understand her impact. And for me, Phyllis Hyman was always a pillar, even though I never met. Like, she died, I think, a year before I was even born. But the impact she had for being a statuesque six-foot woman 
with grace, who just embodied her sultriness. Her voice was, you know, not the common. It was a deep voice for a female, like my voice. Like Remy Ma is another person that I love so much with that because it's like she embodied who she was and did it with grace. But again, suicide is real. There's plenty of other. If you look up many other artists, black artists who've committed suicide, it's real. And sometimes suicide's not just when you physically overdose on pills and just take your life or gunshot to the head or hang yourself. Suicide literally can be drugs too. Like when somebody numbs their pain and they numb it to the point where they're not able to withstand, sometimes that's the suicide within itself. Because you're trying to kill off that pain of whatever you're feeling because you just feel like, I can't take no more. There's plenty of artists who've done that. You know what I'm saying? Who've overdosed and put themselves in an emotional suicide. You know what I'm saying? Where their physical becomes to follow in that emotional suicide. So my, my prayers are out to Regina King. Um... It's, 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 it's tough, man. I, I can imagine what she's doing. Because when I think of Regina King, I think of my mom. Like, how would my mom have felt if I did follow through with that first suicide attempt in, in 2007? You know what I'm saying? Or if I did succeed in them suicide attempts prior up until, you know, I was like 28. And mind you, I'm only 31. Imagine how she would have felt because I'm her only child. My aunt doesn't have kids. I'm her only niece. My grandmother's already gone. So pretty much it would only just been them two left. And when I had to step outside myself and think outside myself to say, there's so many people that love me and care about me. Whatever I'm going through is temporary. It's not worth me taking my whole life and knowing that God has me here for a purpose to just sit here and say, I'm going to just take it all. Because that's not what he wanted. And clearly it's not what he wanted because none of the attempts succeeded. So we're just going to backtrack. We're going to backtrack. And um, this episode is called Heavy. And it's called Heavy for a reason because we're all carrying loads. That just because I'm able to carry it doesn't mean that it ain't heavy. Okay? Just because I'm able to carry it does not mean that that load isn't heavy. So... I think it was imperative to use Keanu Day's Heavy because I remember going to see her in concert. It had to be about 2018 when I first moved out here to Charlotte. And I had got VIP pass and she specifically broke down the fact that she was in a dark space. A space so dark she didn't recognize herself. She didn't know what she was she was doing. She didn't want to get out of bed. She just wanted to mope and drag. And it's just like, I got it. And like... To watch her get on that stage and be so vulnerable. And then I think she performed this at one of these one of the award shows that year too. Um, it's just like it hit home. Because again, she's young. So imagine how many people are that in that age bracket in their 20s. Especially because that's a, a time frame in life where there's a lot going on. Where you're expected to have your shit together. But you're not supposed to have your shit together. But you're supposed to be living young, wild, and free. But you're all supposed to know better. Like that's one of them pivotal ages where it's kind of like you're supposed to fuck up. But not too much. But you need to fuck up. But if you fuck up too much, like it's a part of the life lessons. But because of social media and the age of social media, everything is publicized. So it's hard to fuck up and just fuck up in private. It's hard to do anything now and just do it in private with not having, you know, the world in your face to figure out, well, what does she do? How does she do it? Like, is she going to go ahead and do Like, it's just always a constant pressure. So it's heavy. And I think it was dope she had Jennifer Lewis on it because we know Jennifer Lewis, the black mother of Hollywood. She, she's, she's been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. 
and that's a mental a mental health awareness that I we don't speak on enough as, as either. But the fact she's had longevity in her career and been able to manage the mental illness is true. Is it, it's a true testament of anything is possible, and what's meant for you won't pass you. And that's the per- that perfect person to have on that track, um, because I feel like with this track alone, it bridges the gap between the new school and the old school. And it opens up a dialogue, I feel, purposely to have us connect and just think deeper outside of just ourselves in situations like this. So I was 12, and one of my close friends, who happens to have a father who was an NBA basketball player, um, she was somebody we grew super, super close when you know they, they came and moved to New York, and me and her became super close. Like She's still to my, my sister to this day. Um, we're not as close, but the love is going to always remain because we've been through some shit together in our teenage years, bro. Some shit that's so unspeakable that, man, listen, that's my sister, bro. Um, but she was a cutter. And there would be times we would be in practice and um, she would have on these, before they became a thing, long, like, under armor, long sleeve shirts underneath her practice attire. Like, it was crazy, like... Um, and would wear these long leggings underneath her shorts. Like it was, it made no sense, but because I was always at her house and we always spent time together, she made it known to me that she was a cutter and I didn't know what a cutter was. Like what's a cutter? And mind you, let's keep in mind, 12 years old is also the same age I was raped. So imagine a 12 year old girl having all these emotions and not knowing how to express them because journaling didn't come into my life until I was 17. And you don't know what to do. You don't haven't told nobody really, but your one friend now knows. And she's like, well, I cut myself to try to numb the pain. And you're like, cut? Like, what does a cutter do? Like, so she used to take a protractor or what is it? A compass? I forgot. I think it is a protractor. And would take the ends of the metal and would cut her wrists. So the days when she used to wear those long sleeve under armor, the, the teammates didn't know, the coaches didn't know, but I knew. I knew she was cutting. And it, it was to the point where she was vulnerable enough to show me her wrist. And literally from the bottom of her wrist all the way up to pretty much the middle of her where her elbow was, a crease, she was cutting on both arms. And there were times where she even would cut on her hips. And that's what I used to do. I used to cut on my hips and stuff so they wouldn't be visible. Like I would cut on my wrist, but it was very few. And if... Honestly, if you see me or if you, uh, you probably don't see that I don't, okay. If you see me on my right arm, you can still see some of the scars. I try to use shea butter and stuff, which got some of the dark spots, but there's still some scars of cutting lines that you can see that are probably never going to go away. Um, but a lot of them are on my hips. Um, I put them in place because I don't want to be seen because again, my mom was nosy, so I could never just be in my own space alone. Um, so you can still see some of the scars of me cutting on both arms. I think there's like one or two on, on my left arm, but a lot of them you can see the scars because they're like dark spots and I'm light, I'm lighter, I'm a lighter complexion. So it's not hard to see them, which means it wasn't hard for me to see my veins either to know where not to cut and how deep not to cut. So that's something too that you be conscious. So when people cut themselves, people don't understand that people are like, oh, you cut yourself, you'll kill yourself. Wrong. If you cut yourself, you have to go deep enough where well, you have to have a tool that's deep enough to go near the vein to literally cut that vein 
and literally cause it to bleed because of course as you know blood is literally blue it doesn't turn red until it gets exposed to oxygen so that's when you'll know so my fact that my veins are visible and i can see them i knew where not to cut and how to cut and be mindful of how deep i was cutting but if the blade was sharp enough i could be able to probably slice it in one slice if i wasn't paying attention so my friend was a cutter and she pretty much got me into the cutting mindset um that was how i coped for the first two years after i was raped um before sneaker collecting became a thing for me and that's a whole nother that's something we talked about in sneakers um you know so in my sneakers episode so that was something that was my way and mind you it was it was soothing because i'm like yo there's pressure coming from me being you know, in these accelerated classes, there's pressures in me being the only black kid and still hanging around my friends and trying to be cool. There's pressures of being in, I was the only black girl pretty much at the time in my, my Girl Scout troop. So there's so much going on that my mom's not taking heed or noticing, but not realizing that basketball's not just my escape. Because if I'm always at my friend's house, why am I always at my friend's house? And then I'm always asking to go over there. I don't think it registered. But real stuff, like, that's why I was always over there, because I could cut in peace. Because the way her house was set up, her mansion, it was enough room where she had her own separate, separate secret way to a room and area where you couldn't come up there or you couldn't find us. Like, it was a secret way. Like, so we'd be up there just cutting our little lives away. Like, cutting, writing poetry. Cutting, writing poetry, and writing rhymes. Like, that's what we did. That's how I got into poetry because I would write rhymes because she got me into writing rhymes and writing in poetry while we were cutting. Like, talk about contradictory. Yes, it is contradictory, but that's how a 12-year-old me was able to handle the situation. So that became a thing. It became a thing to the point where I started smoking weed. Now, this is the same friend that put me on a smoking weed. Y'all probably like this. Probably listen to this like this girl was never your friend. Da, da, da. But again, you have to think of the time frame. First of all, this is the early 2000s. So there's so much controversy going on with 9-11, with the Iraq war, with Osama bin Laden. All of this stuff is going on. Bush is coming into president. Like there's so much going on in such a pivotal time frame of growth for an adolescent into teenage years you see what i'm saying so there's but so this is when you know recession happens so there's so much going on that there's that the world is blind like especially being black the world is blind to as a little black girl they're not looking thinking about you they think about they how they're gonna have income you know all of this other stuff that's what they're thinking about so we coped, we did that. So by the time I'm 14, mind you, we still playing ball. We're skipping school now. Leaving school early, go smoke weed. We traveling in this place, that place, on a bus. So I got, that's how I started smoking weed at 14. Like, I started smoking weed. So we now we not just cutting. We cutting, smoking weed, and doing poetry, and writing rhymes. Because she had a studio in her crib. So now I feel like, yo, I'm getting the relief I need to cope with this rape. Because it really fucked me up that bad. I didn't I didn't tell nobody like in my family what was going on. So my friend was my confidence. Like that was my confidant. That was my my lean on, my support, my 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 true, I guess you could say walking journal or diary who knew everything without me knowing that writing it probably would have been more conducive for my mental health. So now I'm smoking weed. 
So my mom don't know. Smoking weed. And low-key, I was one of those rebellious scholars. I was still getting good grades, still on the honor roll, still a scholar athlete. But the whole time, I'm fighting. Beating bitches up in the locker room. I'm over here, you know, arguing back and forth with my coach, smoking weed. Like, I'm out there. Little do y'all know, I was out there. <coughs> Excuse me. So... I get the privilege to go overseas to play ball. And it's for the 10-day period in like 05. So she didn't go. She didn't want to go, I don't think. So I come back, back to the same bullshit, back to the same routine. I got a quick 10-day escape, got to do something I love, meet new people. Um, but it wasn't, you know, long enough. So I had to come back to reality at some point. So now, niggas is in high school. So niggas is doing the same shit. But here is where I realized that my attraction to females wasn't just an attraction. My attraction to males wasn't just an attraction. So this is where I'm coming into the fact that I'm bisexual. So not to add insult to injury, when I'm in an overly zealous religious household, that's Southern Baptist to the core, where homosexuality is frowned upon by any means, I then now am knowing that I'm not just considered a homosexual, which would be in my, my family's eyes. I'm bisexual, which means I know I like girls, I know I like boys, and I know I like them equally. Go figure. My mom is now forcing me to wear tighter clothes and throwing out my baggy clothes, which is my 3X clothes, which is now having dudes look at me in a different way that I looked at as homies, which I'm not used to that attention because I'm not used to showing off my figure. That's another pressure. Then it's like I'm a social butterfly. So I, I had a crew, but I never had a set crew. So I'm trying to acclimate to that. And still dealing with the fact that I've been raped. And this is a whole other thing. So like my mom didn't know that when she forced me to put in on tighter clothes and be more feminine, it gave me another insecurity because now I feel like y'all are looking at this damaged goods who was just being raped. And I wasn't ready to expose myself because I felt like by me wearing tighter clothes was letting niggas know that it's okay to touch me. And I was in a high extremely high anxiety point of dealing with that right there at that time at 14. It was literally just fresh. Like it happened in 2003, but I was still 12 right before my 13th birthday. So like it's only a year and a half in and now I'm going into high school with all these grown older people that's 16, 17. Like I wasn't ready. So now I'm putting, I'm smoking more, I'm cutting more. It's not obvious because again, my mom's a teacher. So she, I'm a, I'm a student. I'm a, I'm a well-rounded student. I don't give her no problems. I'm doing what I need to do. I'm handling my business. So I feel like it went under the radar. Now we get to the time where I'm dating, right? So I'm dating. Not only did I date one of the basketball players, star basketball players at the time um, in high school, but then I ended up dating a female who's Jamaican who has homosexuality on the thing, and she's older than me. My mom finds out, all hell breaks loose. So now my mom's hearing, oh, why would you do that shit? That da, da, da. Like she's, and everybody, and it's not like she did it purposely to offend, but anybody who got old school parents, I was born in like the 50s before this whole, you know, keep that shit in the closet, you know, mind, mind yourself like type situation. Everybody don't need to know that you gay type situation. Like that's the era she came up in. So she's flipping the fuck out like you've been lying to me da, 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 da. and now mind you being chastised and disciplined for being who you are 
pretty much saying like you better you better grow the fuck out of this shit. And to this day, honestly, truly, I want to let y'all know, I don't really identify myself as bi. I do because that's what society makes it easy for society. But in reality, I identify myself as queer because I just like who I like and I'm here for who I'm here for. So it is what it is. Now, who it is and who I'm who I'm here for, y'all will never know because, again, I like to be private. So it's not like it's a secret. It's just none of your business. You feel me? But... That shit kind of fucked me up even more because now I feel like, again, as an only child, I'm being a disappointment. That shit was heavy. So everything I just told you, imagine a young kid carrying all of that shit. Now, cutting at this point is no longer doing anything for me. At this point, I'm like 16 years old. Not to add insult to injury, when I broke up with my ex-girlfriend and at the time my ex-boyfriend, he takes this bitch to prom with him. That is his prom date. Whole time, her best friend now becomes my boyfriend, and he takes me to prom. So that shit is... When I say that shit was so weird, it was fucking weird, y'all. Fucking weird. So, so that shit was heavy to talk about and heavy to deal with, especially at such a young age. And it wasn't like it was open. Like, okay, nowadays in this generation, Gen Z and Y, Gen Z and I would say Gen Y too, which is kind of like a little bit after my generation or whatever the next generation is after them, Gen Z, they have the open opportunity of seeing that as something as normal or knowing that that's common. So if that's what you're, you know, that's who you are, it's okay. In the 90s and early 2000s, baby, baby, that was a hell to the no, okay? It wasn't something that was accepting or let's not say accept or portrayed like you have batwoman who's a lesbian you had um lightning from black lightning who was a lesbian like you would you see it you have you know queer eye you have you know harlem you would see you see it now you wasn't seeing it like that back in the day and if you did you had to know people who knew people in that community to be able to feel comfortable now mind you my friend is a lesbian so, like, it wasn't no secret, but, like, her moms was cool with it because her moms was knew who she was. And it was like, I wish I had that. So, when my mom flipped the fuck out, it was the end all be all. Like, that's when I was just like, you know what? I can't be me. Like, and I couldn't take it because it's like, as an only child, it's a disappointment. You feel like you're disappointing your parent because honestly, truly, there's I don't feel like there's no parent really who feels like, damn, whatever I feel as a parent for my kid to be this way. But why does it automatically look at as a failure? And I always admired Coco when she was like, that's my son, that's my baby, he's a sweet baby, emphasis on sweet, no matter what, he's still my child. If every parent embraced their kid like that, I feel like it probably wouldn't be so many suicides or so many, the pressure of what the world says, like these young kids who are committing suicide because they're being bullied for being gay or acting a certain way or being a certain way, if they had that love and confidence given in the home, when they get out to school, the motherfuckers wouldn't matter and really be tarnishing their mindset as much as that. Or if they put them in spaces where they're they're accepted and accepted for who they are and not just tolerated, I feel like these kids will have a better confidence in who they are and not feel like suicide is the only way out. Babies are 10 years old killing themselves because of them being gay or who they are or being teased about who they are. That's not what's up. And it was crazy because the episode just came out for Love and Hip Hop Family Reunion where Jonathan had a, a episode of The Pride for the Family Reunion. And Erica Mendes said it best. 
How often is this taboo in culture where you have to act like you have a gay cousin, but you act like he's not gay? Or the uncle that's the rapist, you gotta act like he's not a rapist, but he's still around the family. Like, you, it's, it's, it's a truth. And I think I recommended it for the fact that him, Zell Swag, and Bobby Lights made it clear, like, we have to accept each other for who we are, but we're still all a part of this community. Zell was raised one way. Bobby was raised another. Jonathan was raised another. You know what I'm saying? Jonathan had gay, I think, gay com- com- convertilization or something like that. Gay conversion therapy. Um, that's what it is. Gay conversion therapy done to him at such a young age where he was pretty much tortured to try to get that out of him. Zell was raised more so by his father teaching him to be a man before being gay. So that if, when you're a gay man, you're out here in the world able to fight your battles and fight what you got to do. But you a nigga first. Bobby was raised by his mother where he's a little bit more delicate, has more of a feminine quality to him where he's like, yeah, I am. I'm sassy, whatever. But it is what it is. You know what I'm saying? But they're still all a part of the community. But it's respecting each other's differences where you need that kind of support or that community to know your difference is okay. You're no just but we're still in this all together and it's a fight we're all fighting. And I feel that that's important. And I don't feel like that was open or really done in my day um given that you know the brat came out now but back then she was one of my biggest idols at the time and it was because i'm like yo i could tell like in my mind how am i like nine years old able to tell because i just have a gator that's that strong like that and i could just tell like there's a lot of people i can tell but until they were you know (laughs) read want to share their business that's their business you know what i'm saying even if they not gay but i could tell they've dabbled or took a took a dip in the lady pond once or twice in their life before but it's just like, if I had that support, it'd be a little different. And that was a heavy load. So by the time I was 17 and all this is going on, I attempted to commit suicide for the first time. My mom didn't know what the fuck to do because I drank bleach. I tried to drink bleach. And before I could, she came smacked in my back and I spit it out. Up until about, I want to say, six or seven years ago, the carpet I had spilt, spit out bleach on was still there in the crib. Um, in my old bedroom before my mom got the carpet replaced where you could still see the bleach stain coming from the, the TV stand down by my bed, which was always a reminder that I that was my first time committing suicide. So where my friend Janae, when I had told her at the time, she went to the to the guidance council was like, yo, just committed to try to commit suicide. And I really think she needs to get some help. So I went to the school psychologist. And she was asking me, like, why? And I was just like, yo, there's just a lot of stuff going on. She was like, stuff like what, Jessica? I'm like, well, I was always told what happens in my house stays in my house. Like, and that's another thing, a black taboo culture. So I have somebody who's literally licensed to help me in my mental. And I'm taking on black taboo culture where I'm not even helping my mental health by telling her this type of stuff. Because, again, I was raised to not say shit because it's a black it's a black thing. Like, you don't, you don't tell people your business what happened in your house. Like, that's not meant for them. So... She was like, even if you don't, and that's what I will never fucking forget. She said, even if you don't tell me, write it down. I said, what? She said, write it down. She said, you will be surprised how much journaling will help you write this process down in in what you're going through. I was like, well, I started journaling back then, you know, just back in the time when it happened because I just, you know, I did it, but it wasn't continuous. She was like, journal. Journaling, continue doing that journaling, but be more consistent. Because if you don't get to the point where you can tell somebody where you feel comfortable having the true therapy you need to get through this, it's deeper than just this rape. It goes back further. There's a, there's a scared child in you that, there's a scared part of you that just doesn't want to open up. 
And to this day, I do have all of my journals from the time I originally started journaling, which is in 2013 when I used to write my rhymes. Remember I told you me and my homegirl would be in her crib writing rhymes, writing poetry? I got that up until the time of now where I'm in my journal, which is my eighth journal. Um, so pretty much from 2002 to 2021, I have all of my journals. I'm going to write a book one day. It's not right now, but I'm going to write a book and it's going to share my story. But um, that's a lot. Imagine, I haven't looked at those books since then. So when I write in them, I close them and just go to the next one. There's so much in those that I know, especially with my time frame of committing suicides. There are dated times of when I t attempted. So in that 2017, my friend did that and went to that guidance counselor. Ever since then, I just used to journal. Not realizing that I needed more than just journaling to just help me in these heavy loads. So that first attempt wasn't a success. My mom's like, that's some white people shit. Why would you try to kill yourself? Blah, 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 blah. Here we go. So by the time I got to 21, again, I, being me, being messy, had two relationships. One with a female, one with a male. Put myself in my own stress and heaviness. Got exposed to the whole campus. I was dealing with physical abuse, mental and emotional abuse by my, my, my then boyfriend at the time. And the person I was really in love with was my, my ex-girlfriend at the time. Um, attempted again, second time. Tried to cut my vein, but cut it enough where it's jug enough to deep, deep enough to do it. Um, my roommate came and walked in in the mist, so I cut it. But then I ended up cutting my finger. So I still have the scar to this day. On my knuckle, because I wasn't, I literally, like, my hand slipped. So, I have the scar to this day. Had to get stitches um, on that. So, that's another reminder. So, that was attempt number two. Still didn't feel like I needed therapy. Therapy's for white people. What the fuck? I look like going to therapy. I'm journaling. So, I'm still journaling. Now, we come to time where me and my ex-boyfriend now officially break up. That had to be like 2014, 2014. I was going to, but you know what I do? I ended up, I go back to cutting. So now I'm cutting again. So I cut, cut, we break up. That shit was a whole fucking shit show. Not holding that in. So that, that, that was, jeez, my goodness. Lord, that's a whole episode for a whole nother day. That's a whole nother situation. So now I'm, I'm not even chewing the suicide. I'm cutting. I'm self-harming now. I'm like, you know what? Cutting's not so bad now. Now that I'm older, cutting's not so bad. I'd rather do this than, you know, fully take my life. That's a little selfish. Fast forward to 2026. 20, it's my third attempt. My ex-fiance at the time, me and her were really, really deep in a relationship because we were friends for like seven years before we even got in a relationship. Found out she cheated. It's a story I probably heard before. I blacked out. Pretty much beat her the fuck up really bad in the middle of Manhattan. Okay. Um, blacked the fuck out. Broke her broke her nose, broke her finger, was OD. To the point where it was sort of like, yo, how could somebody do this to me? Like we about to get married, all this other shit. I attempted to commit suicide. I try to overdose on pills. That that at that moment that was the time when shay called seen my tweet and was like jess what's going on she stopped me 
Yes, Shay. The same friend who committed suicide stopped my suicide. She said, make yourself throw up right now. They're so Don't let this one girl. You're, it's not the first, not the end. It's for something better. This is not going to be the end. Like, Don't let this one girl fuck up what you have going on for your future. You're here for a reason. You tried it before three times, Jess. This is your fourth. It's not going to work. Just go ahead and throw them pills up. There's a life bigger than you. And you're not thinking about who you're leaving behind and how this is going to affect them, especially me. That, that was a fourth attempt. No, I was the third attempt. So, I get to Charlotte. New city, new state, far, far away from home. I have family, but I'm not as close with the family, so it's a different kind of vibe. So, now, I'm sitting here, and I'm like, yo, I can't take this transition. Like, the transition was overwhelming me. Now, mind you, I started therapy. After that situation with my ex-fiance, I started therapy. And was in therapy consistently. So, I was getting the help, but I had to also do the work. And this is when I say that spirituality comes into a play bigger than just therapy. Because if you don't take the tools that are given and look deeper in yourself to do the work and the trauma that was there prior, you're not really going to heal. So, I was I was doing the going to therapy, but I wasn't doing the work that I needed to fucking do. Like, inner child work, shadow work. Like, getting into the real nitty gritty of what it was and healing, even though it hurt but had to heal. Bro, try to commit suicide again. Didn't work. Try to overdose on pills again. Didn't work. Now, that's when I didn't share with anybody. That, that was like 2018. 2019. End of 2018, beginning of 2019, right before Shay committed suicide. When she did that and I heard that was the reason, I never tried it again. Cutting wasn't a thing. None of, because now it's close to home. It's personal. Because this is the person that saved my life that now has taken their life for the same exact reason. I don't think I could ever attempt to commit suicide again a day in my life, for real, for real. Parasuicidal, yes. Are there times I have suicidal thoughts? Of course. Because there's been times where I've had literally low lows in my mind that that's where it's at. But I don't think I could follow through with it because as much pain as I endured when she left this earth, I couldn't put that through people that I love. I couldn't do it. I'm, I can't be that selfish. It's literally a selfish act. But I had to learn to unlighten my own load and not have it so heavy by me learning to unpack and do the work that was necessary. Long story short, those of you who are out there that are thinking about suicide or your cutters like I used to be, it's going to hurt. But it's going to hurt more by leaving those behind that you love than doing the work of actually healing yourself from the hurt that you're still enduring day after day by trying to sweep it under the rug. I promise you. Yes, we don't know what everybody's mindset is. We don't know what, you know, Regina's son's mindset was when he was going through what he was going through. We don't know. We will never know. Only he knows his pain. Only he will ever know his pain. And God, that's the end of it. But coming from somebody who's made attempts and have been unsuccessful... When God has a purpose for you and there's a purpose for your, then there's a divine purpose and assignment for your life, not even you can get in your way. But when you think outside yourself and realize those who are impacted by just your presence, is it really worth doing all of that? We gotta, we gotta take more attention to this kind of stuff. You gotta pay attention. This is why I always say, 
I and people be like, oh, you don't answer your phone. I text you. Da-da. I don't give a fuck. And my phone's on D and D for a reason because I don't do part time people. You don't get to come to me when you feel like it's necessary for me. And given it might be a lending ear, but there's clearly somebody else that you're closer to before you call my phone because you don't talk to me on a regular basis in general. So you have to be mindful of just saying to people, hey, how are you? How are things going? Or hey, how you been? Because that shit goes a long fucking way. You know how many times people have said that to me in my mindset when I was suicidal? And that literally just made me step back like, yo, somebody cares. How you been? What you been up to? How's everything? That shit matters, yo. There are going to be days you don't know who you are. There are going to be days you will. There will be days. But you guess what? It's called growth. It's called learning yourself. It's called understanding who you are. It's called working through the trauma. It ain't no easy. It's not for the faint. It's not for the weak. But it is heavy. It's going to always be heavy. But it's only as heavy as you allow it to be. Please contact somebody if you're in the mindset of suicide to have suicide prevention. Talk to somebody. Journal. Find some self-care to let that outlet in in a positive way. Don't be like me. Waiting until you're damn near almost 30 in your late 20s, you finally realizing it wasn't worth it. I love you. I'm here. DM if you have to. I'm here. But like I always say on air, let's keep it real. And never forget, be real, be true, and always be unapologetically you. I'm sending you love, peace, and light. Yeah.